What is up? And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Dual Senses, a PlayStation podcast, where we give you our two cents on all things PlayStation. My name is Alex Wolf. And I'm joined here by the one, the only, I'm the assuming freezing. the cold, yeah, the cold one, Stephen Thomas Morrow. You can Hello. catch the show each and every Friday at 9:30 p- p.m. Eastern Time, live Ish. on Twitch dot com on twitch.tv or you can catch the audio on spotify or the video uploaded on youtube following now we say 9 30 but yes there's an ish there's a bit of a bit of a snowstorm a little bit of an ice storm if you guys weren't aware hitting the ohio kentucky east coast area <laughs> and i yeah. had to, unfortunately i was driving in it and i want to take my time getting here i didn't want to rush try to be safe so i apologize but i'm here we're live. We've made it. Steven, how's your week been, buddy? Safe. I appreciate uh, my, it. My week has been kind of a mess. <laughs> uh, I've been stuck at home, uh, just like laying on the couch and watching <laughs> YouTube videos. Oh, no. That's been that's been my life. Well, I uh, offered you could come over. What was it, like the night before it all hit? So that way if you wanted to camp out. Yeah, but I I didn't know for sure whether or not it would have. I, I should have. I should have. It would have been a lot better. But uh, but no, instead, I'm just wallowing in my misery. <laughs> poor poor Stephen. <laughs> I actually I found out that there's there's a channel on YouTube uh, that archives every single video game basically and so they do these compilation videos and like they show like for example every single psp game but only five seconds of each one it's like a five and a half hour video watch the whole thing that's disgusting you know there used to be a show on g4 uh back when it was on network television back in like i mean obviously they're back now but back in like early days of g4 and i think it lasted until they closed it i just don't know how often they updated episodes called cinematech and it was literally just there was no host. There's nothing to the show. They would just show openers, like opening sequences of video games. No real rhyme or reason to it. It would just show them, and then like small tidbits of gameplay, and that was it. I think I remember that on 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 demand back in the day. It would be yeah, like the yeah, first yeah. fifteen minutes of Assassin's Creed Two or something. Yeah, and I loved it. And it was just like a, a half-hour-long show, and it's all I wanted to do is just plow through about like five or five games or so, if not more, and just showcase a bunch of like highlights or openers to them. It was cool. I loved it. It was one of my favorite shows. It literally just did nothing but just show openers to video games. Yeah. Um, Steven, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. We've got PlayStation has acquired Bungie. We've got a showcase that was happening. Uh, we had two showcases, first an official state of play. Uh, I believe the first one of the year, focusing on Gran Turismo 7, and then a yeah, showcase, a not a state of play, but a showcase for Ghost Two showcases. Tokyo. Two showcases. Yeah. Uh, there was another one for an RPG, a JRPG, called Edge of Eternity. Edge of Eternity. 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 Yeah. Um, here, hold on. Let me get these banners on here because I forgot. Oh, you ho. There we go. Well, now, we, now it's course, official. Always. You can go to www.mtfproductions.com forward slash donate to donate as little as a dollar to keep the show afloat. Let us grow the show. To keep me keep afloat. Us, 
To keep Steven afloat. To keep my heat on. To keep the heat on. Look at him. He's a pole pole boy. With a with a jump force. That that's that tells you his financial situation. Jump force, they yeah. pulled. It's not even active anymore. And he has a poster for it. Yeah. It he needs help. Nope. Yep. I, I, I definitely need a lot of help. So <laughs> this is so fucking random. I have a jump force fabric wall hanging thing, and then I have Medal of Homer. <laughs> that's it. That, that's my wall fixings. <laughs> Medal of Homer. Mm-mm-mm. Medal of Homer. What a mess. I think that was from the like PS3 and 360 Simpsons game. I think that was in the case. The Simpsons game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. You said the Simpsons, like you said, like you were unquestionable on the, you said a Simpsons game, not like the Simpsons game. Like it was very much just called the Simpsons game. That was the title. <laughs> you sounded on. Un- you sounded unsure when you it said basically it. was. <clears throat> I was unsure of whether or not it was included in that or if it's from like any older Simpsons game. I don't think so. Depending on when you got but, it. Like anyway. Uh, I'm just gonna dive in. Is it okay if I let's let's get into it. Oh, hold on. Can you hear me? Yeah. I'm having your I'm video having quality some, is a little low internet normal, difficulties. But you're, but you're I mean, fucking snowmageddon, my dude. I mean I'm surprised we're able to go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, were you able to watch any of the the Edge of Eternity showcase thing? No, I honestly didn't even notice that one was coming through. Uh, I saw the big stuff about uh, Gran Turismo's state of play, and I saw the obviously the Ghostwire one was coming through, but I haven't watched any of them. So, if you'd like to inform me, sir. Okay. Well, I'll start with Edge of Eternity because I feel like that's the probably the least exciting out of all of them. Uh, but this is a, a JRPG, uh, but made by a very small team. I can't remember the name of the development studio, um, but uh, it's a small team, and this one's been in development for quite a while. I believe it's been in early access on PC for quite some time. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the the showcase that they did uh, basically just walked through some gameplay. Uh, looks like it's a little open world. Uh, kind of, it's turn-based, but it's like a real-time turn-based type deal uh, where the characters are on like these timers and that determines what order they can go in and battle. Uh, okay. It seemed it seemed a little rough, but like for the size of the team, because <clears throat> this is essentially an indie game, but uh, it, it it seemed impressive for how small of a team it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Like they're going for like a Tales of kind of vibe. Uh, there's like rideable mounts. There's this like weird cat thing that you can ride. Uh, there's all kinds of characters. It's fully voice acted. Uh, actually, the voice actor for one of the characters was the one who narrated the showcase, and he did a lot of cheeky things. Um, cheeky, kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, it's got full Japanese and English voiceover that you can choose between. Um, hey, that ain't bad. That ain't bad. But the game seemed kind of cool. Uh, if JRPGs are your jam, then you'll probably end up enjoying it. Uh, it just kind of lacked some polish. Like like when you're walking around or riding on the weird cat thing, 
this the main character had this giant scythe weapon and it would just like go through the character's head <laughs> it would clip <laughs> through his character model and like 90% of the comments under this video were just talking about how annoying it was that the scythe was going through this guy's head um so if you're okay with that uh it seemed fine um but yeah so that showcase thing is available on the playstation youtube um if you like jrpgs check it out uh and that one's coming out soon i think like i think mm. this i think this month if i remember correctly um all um we had the ghostwire tokyo showcase this one i i just watched a little bit ago and I will say, after watching the showcase, I'm a lot more excited for the game than I was before. Uh, okay. When when Ghostwire Tokyo was first announced, I was very excited because I kept hearing a lot of things like the the one very excited lady came out and she said spooky and she was adorable and I think they had some concept art and stuff and it looked scary and so I kind of went into it expecting a horror game. And then the first time that we saw gameplay for Ghostwire Tokyo, uh, I think this was like a year ago. It was it was a little while ago. Uh, but the first time we saw gameplay, it looked a bit more action-y, and I was a little lost. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. And so I kind of just stopped being excited about it personally. But I watched the showcase, and I'm back to being excited about it. Uh, so Ghostwire Tokyo is a first-person supernatural action game. Uh, mm -hmm, it has mm -hmm. like spooky elements, but this showcase it like it, it showed extended gameplay. So there was like 15 minutes of gameplay, and then they had 15 minutes of um, interviews with developers and like artists and stuff. And uh, it looks badass. Like the art direction looks phenomenal. Uh, it 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 seems pretty focused on what it's doing. It was kind of like if you took. Um, death loop okay and um uh what what am i it reminded me of like a specific game and i can't i can't remember what it reminded me of now uh but it's like it's just it's very fast paced it's got a lot of like really flashy like hand movements which is kind of cool um, like there's this one move where you have like all these supernatural abilities and you're fighting supernatural uh, like urban legend, Japanese urban legend type things. And there's this thing where like strings come out of your fingers and you like shoot them out and then you like twist them around their body and like pull their like souls out. It just, it looks cool. It's hard to explain. <laughs> but in, in the showcase, it looks really freaking cool. Uh, but, but yeah, it just looks like a lot of fun to play. Uh, yeah. I'm stoked. I when this game was first announced, I was super excited. You're right. We had a I can't remember her name, um, but she's very prolific. She's not even with that studio anymore. Uh, yeah, I want to say Mizubiki. Um, but she, this game looked awesome. Original reveal was great. Um, this is the last exclusive of any kind coming from Bethesda on the PlayStation platform. Uh, so this would be interesting to see how things venture up before. Um, I think it's. It is what I want out of any kind of spooky game. I don't like horror games, personally. I've never been a big fan. Uh, I'm very much in the same vein as horror movies, um, where I'm just like, eh, okay, yeah, it, it's fine. It's just not my cup of tea. Um, so seeing this has me pumped. I, I can't wait to watch the showcase later 
Um, but I, I am ready. I have been excited for this game since its reveal. I'm ready for more. Let's go. See, the open world aspect of it. Oh, control. Jesus Christ. That's what it reminded <laughs> me of. So um, imagine if control was actually good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but with, uh, but in first person and with gameplay kind of like Dishonored. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can definitely kind of feel the Bethesda influence when it comes to first-person action uh, with it. But, like, the supernatural abilities seem really cool. There's, like, a grapple thing that you can do to get up to the, the rooftops in the city. Uh, it There's also, like, these, these weird things that, like, break out of reality. Um, and this is the part that reminded me of Control a lot. So there's, mm -hmm. like like weird things that don't make sense or like walls shifting and like objects behaving in ways that they don't like normally behave. Uh, and you go into these realms and they're a little bit more like navigational puzzles and things like that. Uh, it seemed really surreal. Uh, but th the game is just very fast paced. There's a little bit of humor in there. The main character is attractive, uh, <laughs> which is important. Christ. It is important. Uh, <laughs> It's not. It's not important. Important. Uh, it just. It's. It's a plus uh, for me, at least. <laughs> it's okay. So there are a lot of male main characters in video games, and most of them just look fucking ugly, or they look like these these weird muscular dads. And I don't want any of that. I just <laughs> weird muscular dads. Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Think about it. There, there's not very many like it, it okay it, I, I won't get into that but <laughs> <laughs> anyways weird muscular dads <laughs> there's a lot of weird muscular dads in gaming <laughs> there just is all right well i'll let you, you know, i have no really, really comment on any of this so i'll, I'll let you just roll with it <laughs> yeah anyways so uh you said that you didn't get to watch the showcase yet. I highly recommend that when you get the chance, you should check it out. Because uh, I'll probably do after the show here. But yeah, they did they did a deep dive into the gameplay and how it works. It it looks phenomenal. Uh, it it's ticking a lot of boxes for me. And uh, I like like I said, Ghostwire Tokyo was not on my radar really. Um, mm -hmm. And then when I saw the showcase, I was like, oh shit, this actually looks cool. Uh, there we go. So, and we got a release date of March 22nd, I believe. So that's awesome. Knowing yeah. that it's coming out so soon. Steven, yeah. talk to me, Gran Turismo. Gran Turismo okay. 7, first day of play of the year. What do we got? So this is the big one. And actually, so real fast, before I get into this, I think I now fully understand the difference between a state of play and a showcase. I think state of play is first party PlayStation things. And then I think a showcase is just showcasing a PlayStation exclusive or a PlayStation title um, on their videos. So I know sometimes like we were kind of confused about like what the wording was for these things. Well, um, it was more along the lines of like the state of play was being thrown around. Like I feel like when you're talking about a specific game for an extended period of time and you're doing a deep dive. That should be a showcase. I'm. I don't understand outside of that. This game is a PlayStation developed PlayStation Studios game. The diff. That's the only difference is that Gran Turismo is a 
is a PlayStation Studios developed game as opposed to a Bethesda third-party published game on PlayStation. Yeah. Otherwise, well, as far as I'm aware, they're the same fucking thing. And it should not have been called a state of play. But that's fair. I digress. I, I, think, I think that that's just the logic behind their, their wording. But for all Poor intents logic. and purposes, the Gran Turismo state of play was a Gran Turismo showcase. Um, sorry, right. I was distracted. <laughs> Hello, An Angie, Angie Doge. I was trying to figure out how to pronounce that name. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what happened. I just completely broke because I didn't come in with your come in with your very hard pronounced Twitch usernames. Also, we can see Steven just look dumbfounded on screen for a good five <laughs> seconds. It's perfect. Please, I want more of that. Hello, Angie <laughs> Doge. Welcome to the to the stream. God, <laughs> your name gave me a stroke. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining, but fuck your name. Oh come on! There's nothing wrong with their name. You just can't read. Okay, fuck my ability or inability to read. <laughs> Any hooser. <laughs> All right. So the Gran Turismo state of play. Um, mm -hmm. I think that the general consensus is that uh, I think Gran Turismo is back in full form. So this is. Uh, the return of the numbered series. So GT Sport was kind of like this this in between thing that focused a lot on online play. Uh, mm -hmm. But Gran Turismo Seven is full fledged. There's a full career mode. Uh, there's a shit ton of extra content and things. And um, the game looks beautiful, and it is really leaning into what I think Gran Turismo is all about, uh, which is not just being a driving simulator but being a game that is all about appreciating, understanding, learning about, uh, and sharing the passion for cars. Uh, so it's kind of like, th this is a game for people who love cars or want to love cars. Uh, I, I, I think that that separates it enough from something like Forza or something like um, Project Cars. Uh, Gran Turismo feels like a car museum. <laughs> Okay. And with Gran Turismo 7, they're, like, going all in. Um, so one thing that I loved about the showcase, they went into details about some of the racing and stuff like that, obviously. I think there's, like, 97 different track variations. In, oh, I think it's Yeah, I think it's 32 different locations, if I remember correctly, um, all around the world. Some of them are fantasy tracks. Most of them are going to be uh, sort of replications of real-world tracks. Uh, down to the minuscule details. Uh, they're also doing a lot of really complicated like weather effects where they're not just having like preset weather conditions, but they're simulating like part of the video, they went into like the scientific explanation on how clouds form and how like the, <laughs> yeah. And how the temperature and the humidity and the, the the way that the atmosphere works in different parts in different mm -hmm. places around the world sucks moisture out of the ground and then the height of the clouds depends on different factors like they went into hella detail and they were like all of that is simulated in this game i'm so pretty sure clouds... my son saw that in an episode of story bots but <laughs> well this was this was just story bots but uh what with no story bots just cars story cars yeah. story cars, which is also just cars that <laughs> disney pixar's cars but anyway <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so they're doing some uh, apparently really fucking complex weather <laughs> shit. Uh, 
I learned how clouds are formed, so that was cool. See, that's that's what I love about the Grand game Turismo. for cars. <laughs> clouds. <laughs> that's what I love about Gran Turismo. Though. Like every time that I play a Gran Turismo game, uh, I realize two things. One, I fucking suck at driving. <laughs> Period. Um, that is true. I'm two, glad you recognize that. I always come away from the games learning something, and most of the time, it's not even car related. It's like something to do with with science or physics or history. There's like all kinds of shit going on. And uh, so with Gran Turismo 7, uh, the some of my favorite features are returning, like the museum where you can see literally a timeline of technological innovations and different like car manufacturers and the people who started them. Uh, so you can kind of dig into history and see how we got from point A to modern day. Mm -hmm. uh, so I like that. But then there's also, uh, there's like a, a showroom that you can walk through where you can view legendary cars and learn about like why they're important or like significant to the industry, like what kinds of things they brought to the table. And that looks beautiful. Uh, the scapes mode, uh, which was in GT Sport, uh, where you can, basically it's like photo mode, but um, they do some really complex lighting stuff. So basically they took photos of real world locations and then they had like the special camera that that captured the lighting information for that photo. So the lighting can translate to wherever you place your car in this in this photo. So the lighting matches the real world location. So basically you get realistic lighting rendering and of course there's ray tracing now with uh, Gran Turismo 7 on PS5. Um, so it's like this really high fidelity, uh, photo mode. They've got like thousands and thousands and thousands of, of these, these photos. And each one of those, uh, has like information about the place that the photo was taken, things like that. Um, so all of those kinds of things are returning, but then there's new additions, uh, like the ray tracing and scapes or, uh, the legendary car museum thing, stuff like that. Um, there's a shit ton of customization for the cars. Uh, there's tuning, but then you can also customize the look of it uh, with things that don't necessarily affect performance. Uh, it looked really complicated. Uh, everything from like tire pressure to other things that I don't understand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh shit! But it it, it looks cool. Uh, the the license mode or whatever is coming back where you have to earn your driver's license and you go through all these different things and you learn about racing and racing etiquette and how cars function on a basic level. Uh, and then there's, I think I mentioned a traditional career mode as well. Um, Viewer Steven will never get that license. Just let that be known. I never will. I never will. But I'm going to try. And then I'm going to get distracted uh, by all the other pretty things in the game. Uh, but they, they spent quite some time talking about, um, two new features in okay. the game. And All right, what do we uh, got? What do we got? What do we got? And this what I think is got? exciting. So, uh, for people who don't want as much of a simulatory experience in Gran Turismo, they have a new mode mm -hmm. that is more arcadey mm -hmm. and it's also kind of a music game. Oh, God damn it but it's cool so basically you pick a song you pick a track and then you race on the track 
to the song. And there are checkpoints throughout the track that are timed with the music. And you basically have like a, a timer going down, just like old school arcade racing games, where you have to reach the checkpoint before your time runs out. But it's based on the tempo of the song that you're listening to. So uh, it's like a traditional checkpoint arcade racing style thing, but with a little bit more of a sense of musicality. Uh, so you're like driving and stuff, and then the checkpoints are like in time with the the BPM. Uh, I think it looked really cool. I'm kind of excited to to play it. And then in conjunction with that, there's a new mode where uh, whenever you're done with a race, you can do there's the the traditional replay where you can uh, you know watch the race and you can share that content online. But now there's a music replay where the replay and the camera transitions are timed with the song that you choose. So you get like like sweeping camera motions that are in time to music and the the um, the camera angle uh, will like switch or the the um, the scene will switch right on the beat of the song. So it kind okay. of adds more of a dynamic musicality to the replay, uh, which is kind of neat as well. And I'm uh, they didn't get into any of this during the state of play. They just kind of showed it on um, like the aftermath of it. But I'm curious a small little if recap they usually have uh, and kind mm. of like edit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they talked about all of the content that you create in the game, uh, whether it's, you know, obviously like lap times and things like that, or any of your replays, the photos that you take, uh, the custom designs for cars, uh, everything uh, you can share online. And there's like a like a hub uh, where you can uh, see other people's content, you can rate it, you can uh, like take other people's designs and things like that. So that's all pretty cool. Uh, I think I think the game looks great, personally. I think it looks gorgeous. Um, I love that they're adding some more arcadey options. Uh, I love that they're still keeping the sort of educational tinge that Gran Turismo has always had. Uh, those are the kinds of things that I really enjoy. Uh, one word that they used a lot during the state of play is accessible. They wanted this to be a game that anyone can enjoy, no matter what their degree of of interest or knowledge when it comes to to racing or the automotive industry is. And I mm -hmm. think that that's exciting to me because uh, I feel like Gran Turismo has never really been the most accessible game. Uh, but I like that they're kind of allowing for all these different options. They're they're really letting people. Uh, ease into getting to the point where they can race competitively, and I, I think it. I think it looks great. Personally, I'm very excited for it. That's good. I Grand Turismo has never been my shtick. I am one of those people that loves the more arcadey racers. Out of my favorite racing games, probably the most popular ones. I love. I love Burnout. I love the Need for Speed games. At least some of the, like Hot Pursuit and Most Wanted, and uh, Rivals. And I love Forza, the Forza Horizon series. Not as much as a fan of the motorsport, but I prefer it over Gran Turismo because it still has me, I feel a sense of speed when I drive. I've, Gran Turismo for me has always felt very slow paced. And again, very much focused on the historical museum factor. Uh, while not a bad thing, I, it's just not what I want when I purchase a racing game. So hearing the arcade mode is great. Hearing that it's got to have a music mode as well to it, like a musicality feature added onto it as well. Not a bad thing, but I, want just a very pretty fun 
just exhilarating racing game that, call, that comes from Polyphony. I feel like if Polyphony did something similar to what uh, Turn 10 Studios is doing with the Forza games where they have one that's very much simulator, very much the car history, very much just a car appreciation of the industry itself, as well as having this just more arcadey, fun, bombastic thing uh, in the Horizon series, I feel like if Paul, I would, I'd be all over it. I would love it. Um, that's what we almost had with Drive Club, but y'all didn't want to support that game. Drive Club wasn't our. It was, it was a bad balance of arcadey and simulator to where it was just fucking difficult for no real reason. Like it was just hard and it wasn't fun. It it was bad. <laughs> I'm gonna just I say like, it was I like Drive fun. Club. I I really like Drive Club. I wanted I Drive it was Club to be a fun experience. Really underrated. I feel like the only good thing to come out of uh, that studio, in my eyes, was MotorStorm Pacific Drift. Uh, everything like Apocalypse. I, I couldn't stand the first one. I felt Apocalypse was too just tacked on. I feel like it was just done lazily. I feel like they hit their stride with Pacific Drift. MotorStorm uh, Apocalypse is the uncharted of racing games. No, no, just because of the big set pieces doesn't make it a fun game. It was amazing. It oh was amazing. God. It was, it was so, so good, boring to play. I um, loved it. God, you know, I tell you it's what, fine. It's fine. I'm gonna I, say I there's say... one racing game. There's two racing games actually. I wish made to come back, but they never will. And I took no one played them, and they're from developers. I'm not even sure if they're. I know one of them isn't. The other one I think died as well. It was Blur and Split Second. I'll leave it at that. Split Second. I can get behind that. Those two fucking games were great. Blur was a kart racer, but with actual fucking cars. That was phenomenal. Blur, Blur was fine. I, I really liked Split Second, though. Uh, but, so, I don't think Gran Turismo 7 is going to really change too many people's minds if they're not already of the series. I don't uh, think they need to anymore. I think that game is, but, it, it has its audience. Yeah, but I think Gran Turismo 7 is exactly what the doctor ordered. There's a, okay, there's a cafe that you can go to in the game. And, I, so, Gran Turismo for me is just a vibe like it's it's a game that i put on and half the time i don't even play it i just have it on because it makes me feel a certain way you subscribe 90 uh, percent of the games you play steven i know i know <laughs> that's, that's why that's why streaming is good for me because then i actually play the game because i know that if i just sit there <laughs> that no one's gonna watch <laughs> start a game uh, and it's just this tree for three hours <laughs> only to pan the camera out and you're passed out on the couch they're not in the room. Oh my God. I was streaming uh, Kana, Bridge of Spirits. I played that for the first time. I did a five-hour stream. I did like the first chunk of the game. And there was a part early on where I was just looking at the pretty things. And someone in the chat was like, save the children, Steven. And I was like, <laughs> I, I, it completely like snapped me out of it. And I was like, oh yeah. Jesus uh, I think it was something, something along... They were just like the dead babies, Stephen. You need to find the dead babies. Jesus Christ! Because I was like, I, I I thought the babies were dead. But oh, anyways, no. so anyways, uh, we, we got we got Grand big Turismo news. has always been. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Grand Turismo has always been that kind of vibe. They have a cafe in the game, and there's a little menu on your table. You open the menu, and each of the menu selections is a car, and then you can just kind of like learn about the car. You can you can have a car with your coffee. It's just like it's such a weird thing. It's like it's bougie. It's a, it's a, it's a it's play on the cars, and, the cars and coffee thing. Yeah, but I love it. I love it. I, I think mean, so is cars and coffee. Have you ever, you know what cars and coffee is? 
I have no idea what Cars and Coffee is. So there's there's the Starbucks, the the big and over in in the Crestview. Um, I don't know if they still do it. I don't know if they've done it since COVID. Um, but that and there's a few other places around here, and I think it's kind of done just statewide. It's just very much like wherever you're at. Car enthusiast will go to a coffee shop, take a big spot, like a big chunk of this parking lot space, and just bring out their fancy cars, whether they're classics or modded cars or just very expensive cars that they don't have to mod because they're expensive as fuck already. And they just drink coffee and just, you know, shoot the shit. And it's just called, hey, you want to go to Cars and Coffee? Yeah, sure. And you go to Starbucks, you get what you want or whatever oh. coffee shops around you. It's a really fun thing. I, I did it once a few years ago. I had some friends that went all the time. Uh, I at the time working at GameStop because it was typically held on Sundays and I worked Sundays. I couldn't go there. Um, but it is very much what you described. It's pretentious in a way, but it's a fucking vibe and it's a great time. And, and it's pretentious, but nice. exactly. It's pretentious, but like, but like everyone can go. There's nothing stopping. You. I, I want that, but I don't want to have to like interact with any actual humans. And I think that Gran Turismo 7 will allow for that kind of experience. Oh no. Steven. Steven. All that's great. But January was the month of just big fucking moves and big acquisitions. So I'm going to get into one thing and I'm going to go to collect for how this happened. So I'm, I'm going to be quick with this. MLB The Show 22 is not only coming to PlayStation this year. It is coming to Xbox. Not only is it coming to Xbox, it's launching day and date on Game Pass. Not only is it doing that, it is also launching on the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day that one, this game's gonna run like asshole on the Switch. It, it's got to be a different version of the, the game. Switch it's going is to really like this game can't struggling it, lately. It can't do it. It can't handle a game with that graphical capability. It just can't do it. So it's either gonna be dumbed down and really bad, or it's gonna be a totally different kind of game where it's pretty much super super mega baseball, which would be awesome. But there's that. The second thing, this is the biggest. Bungie has been acquired by PlayStation by Sony, joining the PlayStation team for $3.6 billion. This is big. Steven, I don't know if you remember uh, two, three weeks ago, whenever the Microsoft Blizzard, or the Microsoft Activision Blizzard acquisition happened, I said this puts Sony in a spot, or PlayStation in a spot, where they're going to need, depending on how the whole Call of Duty thing goes, a flagship first-person shooter. First-person shooter games print money. It's the way it is. Xbox has now, regardless of Call of Duty does come to PlayStation, that Xbox logo will be branded on the case of every Call of Duty game that comes out. That branding is important. PlayStation needs something like that. By purchasing Bungie and parting with Bungie, while Bungie has already said, and both of them have said, their existing games and future games will be multi-platform. We will see, um, in my eyes. Bungie, with Destiny... Destiny has been had a strong, strong relationship with PlayStation since its inception, all the way from the launch on the PS4 and the and Xbox One till now. Bungie has a strong presence on PlayStation with Destiny. So this again, while this isn't as impactful as the Call of Duty label smacking on the uh, uh, the Xbox label smacking on Call of Duty, just simply because PlayStation's kind of hard to label all over Destiny since the inception, this is a good move. Um, now, does this, in my eyes, set the tone? And give PlayStation that first party, that first party strong first person, that strong first person flagship, whatever that big first person shooter shoot shoot game. <laughs> Does this give them that title? No. Um, Destiny has been out since 2014, 2013. Um, 
it is multi-platform. It's staying that way. Um, Bungie, we know they have a new IP under the hood and they're working on something. I, again, they're focused on keeping their community tight and keeping games accessible. And PlayStation is, again, so far, wanting to keep that ideal. Um, so I don't think this will be the game for them either. Um, but this does give PlayStation has 10. It's really wanting to build its live service deals with the games. And they're partnering with Bungie as an aspect. And I'll tell you what. This is what's really cool about this acquisition is that PlayStation's very much it sounds more hands off than anything else. They're really just looking to put their label on something and just give funding to Bungie when it needs it. Um and utilizing their tools. But that's it. There it sounds like they're allowing them to do whatever the fuck they want with their games. Like that's up to you guys. Um Yeah, I think they and going from there. I think they can be like directly quoted as saying that Bungie's gonna remain independent. Yes. They're going to publish their own things. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're basically just working under PlayStation, um, and there's probably going to be some kind of like oh, special perks like benefits, but mm -hmm. but their games are still going to release on multiple platforms. Um, and yeah, what I think is interesting, PlayStation definitely wants to get into the live service realm of things. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that's not really as present with their first party uh, developers. Um, but uh, I feel like with this, they're they're definitely leaning into not just having a live service thing, but kind of having a presence on multiple platforms in the same way that Microsoft is sort of leaning. Mm -hmm. And uh, PlayStation has expressed interest in in wanting to do that kind of thing, um, even if it wasn't necessarily what they wanted with MLB The Show. That's what we're seeing with that. Uh, mm -hmm. With the the presence of PlayStation exclusive titles on PC, we're starting to see that there. I think they understand that money can be made when you put your games everywhere. And so mm -hmm. they just want there to be quality games associated with their brand accessible everywhere. Uh, There's an, yeah. I think with whatever it is that Bungie's cooking up that's not Destiny, uh, I think it's going to be worth watching because keep in mind, Bungie gave us. I mean, the most influential first-person shooter of all time, which is Halo. Yep. Uh, so uh, these are these are legendary developers um, who they've switched hands quite a bit. Originally uh, by Microsoft, then Activ Activision Blizzard, yeah. leading them, and now with PlayStation. Yeah, they dodged a bullet there. They could have <laughs> ended up back in Microsoft's hands. Uh, but yeah, it, it it does seem kind of weird, like a like one of those the tables have turned moments uh, but uh i think that they have the ability to do something that is equally as if not more iconic than halo in mm -hmm. the future um i think that they've had a lot of practice with destiny in terms of doing like a live service or a persistent online world um, mm -hmm. i think we could see something that's sort of in the same vein as warzone or fortnite but in a first person shooting like genre uh, coming from Bungie in the future. And I think that that could be really interesting. Do you think, don't you think Destiny kind of, well, not the exact, so kind of covers that. I mean, Warzone and Fortnite are very much a games of service type of deal where you just hop in, play, get your season pass, your battle pass, whatever it is. I'm talking specifically Battle Royale. Oh, well, that could just be a so, mode tacked on the Destiny, though. Uh, 
I mean, it could, but... I don't see uh, the need to create an, a new IP for a singular game mode. Well, I also think that there's there's this trend now um, mm-hmm. with not just gaming, but technology as a whole, of creating persistent worlds that can evolve and adapt as time goes on. So instead of having multiple games, you have one world and you fill it with as many experiences as possible. This is what Facebook is doing with Metaverse. Uh, this is kind of the idea of something like um, Roblox or Dreams, uh, things like that. And this is what Fortnite has kind of mastered, honestly. And it's it's kind of taken over pop culture. Um, but this is things that other developers have expressed interest in doing. Uh, even Rockstar with Grand, Tur- Grand Turismo, Jesus, Grand Theft Auto 6. Um, sorry, I've got the the coffee and cars on my mind. Uh, cars and coffee, you hoe. Whatever. Uh, anyways, so Rockstar, <laughs> uh, Rockstar has has basically said that that's what they want to do with Grand Theft Auto Six. Uh, they want to have a persistent world that is ever changing, ever evolving, uh, similar to something like Fortnite. Uh, I think that that's kind of the way that a lot of these online experiences are going. And in order to do that, that that's a very resource-heavy thing. It's something that, you know, you don't just develop it, release it, and then maybe do some updates and then you're done. It's a constant thing. Uh, so I think having a dedicated team that works on that, who knows what they're doing, mm-hmm. uh, it's a good move. And PlayStation, you know, they say what you want about their their the quality of their first-party titles. They don't have that online presence as much as they do uh as much as their competitors do yes yeah that's very true um i think again i wholeheartedly agree that this acquisition of bungie and this partnership will definitely be beneficial they picked the right team to do so um again bungie is historic with halo alone as one aspect having a huge space in the online multiplayer realm with the success of halo 2 and halo 3 um destiny really kind of being a staple with the last generation's gaming with the xbox one and ps4 and now i mean even getting into the ps5 and xbox series s and x it's destiny's here to stay it's not going anywhere anytime soon and it continues to be since leaving activision blizzard and any of that partnership they've been able to more cater to the fans have more decisions over what they want to do and it seems so far from what i understand it's all the right moves um i think this everyone's looking at this acquisition on the same scale as a response to uh the activision blizzard king deal um no it's not it's been talked about jim ryan came out and spoke in an interview uh at games industry that it's this isn't the case this was something that was already months in the works uh and it's again it's on the same scale microsoft they're trying to build their first party library they're trying to get resources and they're trying to get good things underneath their you know their flag this is playstation's way of not necessarily getting something under their flag but hey we lack in this space who can we partner with to help out and they chose bungie so they acquired them but again keeping very much an independent approach to the whole thing um I mean, they're going as far as a third of the $3.6 billion they're spending is to retain employees so they don't lose anyone. 
that shows that this is more about keeping the resources on hand, not just pumping out a new game and keeping it just a solely a PlayStation label. Um, it'll be interesting to see, one, how this affects their new IP, two, what kind of resources they pull and how well PlayStation utilizes them. Um, PlayStation is focused with its first-party games has always been about quality. Always has been, always will be. I, I think that's where they... So that's where they really, what's the word? Thrive. Stand, drive, thrive and stand out is that quality there. Um, and I spoke to that again a week, two weeks ago, where, yeah, Microsoft may start building more umbrella and having more names under their flag, but, and PlayStation may have fewer, but you know every time you pick up a PlayStation exclusive game, nine times out of, ten, out of 10, that game is going to be critically acclaimed and is more often than not going to push some kind of boundary uh, in the tech space with what the, that console can do or what defines a generation. Um, you're seeing that another aspect of this generation, a lot of people have always talked about, um, is everyone's kind of talked about this generation as service. Service will define this generation. Yes, that is going to be a big factor. But along with that service, it's going to be content. What kind of content will you put out? How strong will it be? And how long will you support it? That is going to be something we're seeing. And you see that now with PlayStation, who famously did not want crossplay, famously did not put their games on PC. Now they're putting their games on PC. They're celebrating them when they are released on, P on PC and celebrating the sales numbers on it when it's coming out on PC. You see them talking about remote play with playing games on your, via your iPhone. No longer do you just need a PlayStation Vita to do this. You get a Bluetooth, you get a DualShock or a DualSense controller, and you have Bluetooth paired to whatever you've got, uh, whether it's a PC, an iPhone, or even a fucking MacBook, and you use your remote play. Um, there's Toxic Spartacus being a, another a streaming service of some sort in a comparison to Game Pass. I wouldn't be surprised if eventually that comes to another platform, or at least PC, much like Game Pass did in some capacity. Um, it, it's very much about getting your content into as many hands as possible because like you said playstation's recognizing if we put our games and other things out there we will make money that way like just because like our our names on the box yeah it's on our playstation 5 but we're selling a playstation game on a pc and we're still collecting some kind of income that's important and it's about time they recognized it and if they capitalize on that i again i still stand by if they can keep that up and keep doing this They've gone this long with Game Pass being around, and it's not killing them yet, that I think if they continue just to put out the quality titles they have been, but just make them more accessible, PlayStation will still be a dominant force in this market and could easily still be, not I shouldn't say easily, but you know, could still be a top contender, if not the number one contender in this space. See, I think I, I feel very similarly. Um... There's two things. So first, I want to give a comment, and then I'm going to ask a question. Okay. So uh, first of all, my comment is, uh, I think this is interesting because um, these recent acquisitions and uh, sort of the, the behavior of, of Sony and Microsoft uh, in the past couple years, I think it kind of shows their two different strategies. Mm -hmm. uh, Microsoft seems to be buying a shit ton of studios, um, but a lot of it seems to be based off of 
either games that are already in development or um, games that have already had success. Uh, like uh, the Minecraft developer, what is it, Mojang? Mojang. Mojang. Uh, like them, bought by Microsoft after my after Minecraft became like this big phenomenon, um, and now acquiring Activision Blizzard, uh, Call of Duty is just this like monolith thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but with PlayStation, it seems like they're going towards. It, it doesn't seem like they're buying studios for the IP. Mm -hmm. I, I yes. don't think they care about that at all. They want the talent. They want whether or not that team or that group, something about that that environment is going to lead to the next best thing or um, the, the next like big innovation in gaming. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that PlayStation is kind of really good at is yeah. uh, moving the industry forward. Oftentimes they're ahead of the curve so much that they release something that is dead on arrival because it's too ahead of its time. Uh, like the PlayStation Vita um, or the PSP or uh, uh, the iToy or like yeah, I could go on and on. iToy. <laughs> I mean, so we laugh about iToy and then what did Microsoft do like literally 10 years after the iToy came out? They released iToy.2, which was which just sucked. Yeah, which sucked. But then that same kind of uh, like technological innovation led us to PlayStation VR. Mm -hmm. which even though it, it wasn't the best VR experience, it was certainly the most accessible. Uh, so, I mean, still, I think, I think PlayStation is, is very good at innovating. I think that they have um, some of the top developers in the industry, if not the top developers in the industry, in terms of pushing the industry forward. And I think mm -hmm. that that's why they were eyeing Bungie. I think that that's why... Uh, during their partnership and everything uh, with Destiny being uh, developed and released, um, they were in constant talks. Uh, during there was an interview with um, what's his name Herman Holst. Herman, yeah. Um, There's an interview with him that was featured on the PlayStation blog, and for a lot of the interview, he was just talking about how uh, how impactful Halo was. He name dropped Halo, which was pretty cool. Uh, how impactful Halo was and um, how he was constantly impressed with Bungie when they were working on Destiny and they were constantly talking about what they wanted to do moving forward and things like that. So I think that he's just, uh, him and PlayStation overall, they're, I think they're very good at having their finger on the pulse of the industry on what developers mm -hmm. want. Um, and I think that that's seen not just with um, the way that they acquire studios, but also in the way that they develop hardware now um, and the way that they uh, share tools amongst their developers too. I mean, mm -hmm. something as simple as the the sort of collaboration between Guerrilla Games and Kojima Productions, for example, uh, designing an engine, creating you know universal tools that are shared amongst their, their family. Um, PlayStation's really good at that. And I think it's why their games end up kind of being a level above. Uh, yep. But I see that as their their strategy and what differentiates them from Microsoft. Microsoft might be going after, you know, the the current big names and and things like that in gaming. 
but I think PlayStation is investing in the future of the gaming industry. And I think that they understand that. And I think that they want to try to work with these teams to, to try to push the industry forward. Um, I think that that's where they're investing their time and their money and their efforts in. And with that being said, um, I think it was Herman Holst who said this, uh, that there are more acquisitions yes. in the works. Uh, um, I believe that came from Jim Ryan, but yes. Jim Ryan, okay. Uh, there's a lot of names being thrown around now. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> everyone's talking now. Uh, so my question is, what do you think is the next PlayStation acquisition? It's hard to say. I have no idea. So, I mean, if we look at the names of the acquisitions they've made in the last two years, uh, biggest ones being Insomniac and Bungie. A lot of the other ones are smaller, like not as maybe well-known names, like Fire Sprite. Um, so again, like I wholeheartedly agree, they're purchasing studios based off of the talent and what those studios have been before. I said in a prior episode, or this is maybe a conversation you and I were just having, that Marvel Games was very much picking studios to develop their games based off of what that studio has excelled in in the past. So um, first and foremost, they needed someone to handle the Spider-Man IP in a video game. So they went to Insomniac. Insomniac has had a great history of creating fun, accessible, um, bombastic stories. Um, uh, and they're like, hey, well, hey, that's Spider-Man. That is that you, we want relatable stories that are bombastically fun to see and play. Let's do it. So that's where it went. PlayStation's doing a similar thing. They're like, hey, we need something. We need someone who's got a focus in servicing its games. Who's out there? Bungie. Boom. Hey, let's talk. We need you. Um, it, it's they did the same thing with Naughty Dog. Naughty Dog was a, a leader in storytelling. And again, it's a single player. Boom. There you go. They're, they're playing their cards right. Um, GZD forever. GZDR for E. Not so e easy, is it, Alex? <laughs> Fuck you. That's a bunch of letters. It's not even like a, a word. Any user, he said Capcom, they just bought the fighting game tournament Evo. They can't let the Street Fighter IP get away from them. That's true. Now, do they own Street Fighter? No, uh, not necessarily. But PlayStation is now a like the primary investor in Evo. So fighting games going forward, I mean, they kind of have been in the past, are now heavily, heavily going to resonate with I think, PlayStation. I think um, Capcom is an interesting one because Capcom also has history with PlayStation, not just with Street Fighter, uh, but, I mean... Resident Monster Evil, Hunter, Cry. It, Monster Hunter on PSP, huge deal. God that, damn it. You, I, you, I you think tell me the deal. Uh, imagine Monster Hunter was on PS2, Hunter. it was on the fucking PSP. Yeah. But still, uh, so Monster Hunter, Resident Evil, Street Fighter, Devil, Devil, May, Devil Cry. May Cry, Beautiful Joe. Oh God, Beautiful Joe. Yeah, I forgot about yeah, that. There's a lot yeah. of stuff out there. That's the thing. And Capcom's got a big umbrella. Um, and I associate all of those things with PlayStation, by the way. Like, yeah, and it's not might, hard to say. Some of those might be out on other things, but I, I consider those to be PlayStation legacy types. The most questionable person. one being Monster Hunter, just with how they were for a while. You know, PlayStation kind of dropped the ball of portables. So Capcom approached Nintendo <laughs> with that aspect. And there we are. But even then, Monster Hunter World, while it never came to Nintendo Switch, 
I think very much has a huge, huge player base on PlayStation, more so than it does on Xbox. I can't say for PC, but there you go. Um, and then, here we go. Next comment. He is, who is this guy? Someone get to pay this man. Mega Man. The Blue Bomber. <laughs> the Blue Bomber on the blue brand. You know what I mean? Holy shit. But that's... <laughs> It is very much a thing. Can you imagine now, Mega I, Man and Astrobot standing back no to back? One, Jesus Christ. That'd be great. I love it. Fuck they could guys. be best friends. Disgusting. But but yeah, Capcom could be a, a huge acquisition. I don't think it'd be as big as... Well, you know what? It's hard saying. I'd say it wouldn't be as big as Bungie. But Capcom has, for the last few years, put out some fucking bangers of <laughs> titles. They've been going through Typically, a renaissance. Yeah, literally like putting out some of the number one selling games of the year. Uh, everything from Monster Hunter World, Resident Evil 7, Resident Evil 8, Devil May Cry 5. Like these games make, they, they print money. Street Fighter 5 is still selling and DLC abound. Uh, well, they just had their final one. Uh, but yeah, it's huge. It's I mean, huge. I'll, I'll echo what GZDR4F says. Uh, I, I think Capcom would be a potential next acquisition. Uh, and I think not just because of the, the legacy that they have, as well as, you know, PlayStation buying Evo and Street Fighter and things like that, but also um, the way that I look at this is similar to Bungie and their relationship with PlayStation. Uh, I'm trying to think of studios or developers that PlayStation has had an ongoing relationship with. Um, and when it comes to Capcom, it's interesting because uh, they've been doing some like exclusive type things. Like for example, uh, their partnership with Resident Evil and PlayStation VR. That's like, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of additional development time and cost. And so for them to have that kind of relationship, I think it's a, it's a, an indicator. Um, I also think that if, if that's how I'm deciding what a likely next acquisition is, uh, I'm thinking Square Enix, because PlayStation, especially for the past you know couple of years, PlayStation mm -hmm. and Square Enix have had a phenomenal relationship to the point of not just having um, exclusive titles um, and like timed exclusive and things like that, but these are like like big deals. Like Final Fantasy VII Remake still is not on anything else. PC, I mean console wise um and <laughs> pc doesn't matter that's its own piece. <laughs> um, but uh also they they're developing uh what is it called the with the girl in the cringy dialogue she's got the hand thing the fun traversal isn't that square enix oh what I'm is it sure called what you're referring to uh da, 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 parasite eve or eve online not no, it's it's a PlayStation Five exclusive coming out. Forspoken. Oh yes, okay, yeah, Forspoken. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That's a PlayStation exclusive title uh, developed from the ground up for PS Five. They have the mm -hmm. next Final Fantasy game as of right now. It's a PlayStation Five exclusive. Mm -hmm. Like, what is it? Project Athia, or was that Forspoken? That was um, Forspoken. That was Project Athena. Final Fantasy Sixteen is Final Fantasy Sixteen. That game is coming to PS Five as an exclusive. But I think that was one of the games during the original showcase where it was first announced. It had that weird asterisk of, and then later on PC or something. But then when you rewatched it, that was gone. Oh, yeah. So it, that'll come to PC eventually, like everything else, apparently. But it's going to be a while knowing PlayStation. 
but I I think that a Square Enix ac- acquisition might even be more likely than Capcom, mm-hmm. just because they have had such a tight relationship uh, with PlayStation in the past, you know, handful of years. Um, and these exclusive titles, I keep saying timed exclusive, but we have not heard anything about them coming to other consoles, uh, like Final Fantasy VII Remake, for example. Uh, Final Fantasy has intense legacy with PlayStation. Um, obviously, the originals came out on Nintendo consoles, but when Final Fantasy started becoming like this big household name, it was PlayStation. Yeah, um, you think Final Fantasy four, you think Final Fantasy seven, Final Fantasy eight, Final Fantasy ten, ten two. Yeah, they're basically all the Final Fantasies after. <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, well, not so, 13. 13 um, had a big branding with uh, Xbox with it being the first one to hit Xbox consoles. But I also think that PlayStation being a Japanese company and also having a little bit more Japanese legacy and yes. more of an audience in Japan, uh, acquiring a Japanese studio, I think makes more sense for PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, well, we say that, but we also, I think it was a prior episode last year where. PlayStation is losing its focus in the Japanese market and very much focusing on Western markets heavily. Um, so yeah. if they were if they wanted to get another foothold in that area, yes, certainly Square, certainly Capcom. Um, hell, so I mean Square, Final Fantasy fourteen, the fucking number one MMO out there, and it is a PlayStation and PC exclusive. Um, I'm trying to think of another Japanese-based developer with a strong relationship with Sony. And those are the biggest two. I can't think of anyone that's not already under someone else's umbrella. Or even even Western. So like I was gonna say NetherRealm, that would be a big one, but they're under Warner Brothers and PlayStation's not buying Warner Brothers. <laughs> or Sony's not buying Warner Brothers anytime soon. Crazier <laughs> things um, have happened. Crazier shit, things have yeah, happened. Very true. Um Konami Konami would be a big one. Konami, I'd where's this man's check, Steven? Cut him a check. Jesus um, Christ, Konami would be huge. You give me a top tier Yu-Gi-Oh game where there's a PlayStation exclusive, and I get fucking holograms, and 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 I see animations with every card that comes out, and it's constantly oh fuck yeah. Here's I'm the in. thing though, I and and I mean this with with utmost respect. Uh, what would Konami have to offer? Because like I mean, other than owning their IP, uh, which their IP is very important. We're talking Silent Hill. We're talking Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, Metal Gear that I care about. Oh, Metal Gear, yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> but without, without <laughs> so what are you talking about? Sorry, but you say that. Without but Kojima, if, if, yeah. if PlayStation owns that, if they own that we are talking. Um, that would be the biggest. But that's that's just <laughs> IP. That's just IP. Uh, True. But but if we're if we're thinking about investing in talent, and you know the future of the industry, Konami has stepped away. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, game unless PlayStation wanted to get PlayStation Mobiles back out there. So I don't, I don't know if Konami would even be worth it because uh, at that point you're just buying IP, but then you still need to to fund the teams and and curate the talent in order to create these games under that IP. Um, so it almost seems like that would cost them more money than than they would get by acquiring Konami. All right, I'm gonna say that this last one. We'll talk about it a little bit. We're gonna wrap up the show. Bandai Namco, or no, 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 CyberConnect Two specifically. Hold on. Um, 
explain me your reasons. All right. So this, they're a smaller one. They're not under a, um, not under any umbrella. They're very much their own independent studio. Um, they PlayStation or Sony as a whole is majority stakeholder in Funimation, the biggest streaming provider and biggest collection of publishing of anime games out there. PlayStation, Japanese studio, anime is a focus. They, they go hand in hand. They don't have, if they were to buy CyberConnect 2, CyberConnect 2 has put out some of the biggest and greatest anime-inspired games in quite a while. We're talking Asura's Wrath. Just about every Naruto game that came out up until Ultimate Ninja Storm 4 on the PS4. So not only can they handle anime IP, they also, like we saw with Asura's Wrath, can handle these bombastic, flashy, anime-esque storytelling that just blow it out of the water. I would love to see PlayStation own because that's another thing. CyberConnect 2, I feel like, while they're great, they're small. So they have to be selective with what they do. I think the last big thing they did was Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. If they had more access to either other anime IP with a partnership with Sony, um, or just the funding to further more brand new IP, much akin to Asura's Wrath, that developer would fucking come out swinging. So I, I actually, yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, hi, Hufflehug. Hufflehug, God, you always come at the end of the show. <laughs> what the fuck? She's, she's got a lot going on now. What, she got a kid? I don't give a damn. So do <laughs> I. She's got mommy <laughs> things. Whatever, uh, I got daddy things. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> but I anyways, I, I, think, I think I agree with you. Um, I have a little bit of a hot take. I think anime games, for the most part, suck. But they sell really well. So I think that uh, it would be a, a worthwhile investment for PlayStation, definitely. Especially to acquire uh, the best anime developer, uh, anime game developer. Really, Plus, but they it, didn't want to focus on anime games, but something in yeah. something super stylized would be fucking... And it does go pretty nicely in conjunction with, uh, you know, Funimation and things like that. Um, I'm going to go back to something that gzdr 4 ev said um, mm -hmm. they said something about like buying konami gets them closer to also buying kojima studios i think kojima studios <laughs> or kojima productions i mean uh yeah. would be a uh, a good a huge group it, as well uh, they already have, have already but <laughs> yeah honestly uh they already have uh, a really close relationship uh when it comes to uh not just death stranding but also uh, collaborating with Gorilla using the Decima engine. Um, Kojima has expressed interest in doing all kinds of different projects. He wants PT. to get into films. Um, and, you know, PlayStation and Sony has films. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so there's that. And I think that Kojima Productions, when it first started, PlayStation really helped them get going. Um, but Kojima stayed independent. I think Kojima was doing that because he was looking for money, looking for investment and things like that. And I think that because of the support that PlayStation has given him and because not much really has been announced outside of any more PlayStation things or even teased outside of PlayStation things, I would not be surprised if Kojima ended up going with PlayStation in the end mm -hmm. uh, just because they've been there since, since he left Konami, basically. Hell, they were with him with Metal Gear back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, so. they already have a relationship. Also going into uh, PlayStation's Japanese country, 
or country, Jesus, Japanese <laughs> company. Um, and uh, Kojima very much ingrained in, uh, you know, the Japanese development culture. Uh, they have that history. They have that, that kind of working relationship. Uh, I think that would make sense as well. And if we're talking about investing in future innovators for the industry, I think Kojima Productions might even be the most valuable acquisition uh, in that respect. Um, but yeah. Steven, it's been a good episode. Lots to ponder about, lots to think about. Can't wait to see what February brings. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Dual Senses, a PlayStation podcast. If again, you'd like the show, like, comment, share, support, do all the things. If you're a super, super fan, and you want to see us grow, make sure to head on over to www.mtfproductions.com forward slash donate, where you can donate as little as a dollar to help support us. And also, Steven, get some better decor because he doesn't even like anime, as he said, and he's got <laughs> fucking Jump Force hanging up behind him. I hung that up for Andreas. <laughs> Does he even use that room? No. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> but until then, we thank you. We love you. We'll see you next week. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Love, love, love. Except for Sarah. No, Sarah is always welcome here. No, nope. in the show, Stephen. Leave it at that. Leave it at that. I love you, Sarah. I'm also nope. excited for Horizon 2. Nope, nope. I love you.